Last time, uh, we're in 2 Chronicles. And uh, uh, the books of Chronicles uh, retell the story of the Old Testament from, really from creation, because it begins, 1 Chronicles 1.1, Adam, Seth, Enosh, the very first family. And then it goes all the way to the return from the Babylonian captivity. So it's, 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 it's an incredibly far-reaching book. And um, here in the second half, Second Chronicles, um, we're, we've been studying uh, Solomon planning the temple, building the temple, now uh, the dedication of, 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 of the temple. Sorry, that's, that's my email devotion advertisement. This is what we're actually in. Um, and uh, the dedication of the temple. And we'll get into um, a dream that he has after this uh, following tonight. But uh, so uh, uh, for those of you who haven't been here and those of you who have, this is a model uh, of the temple. I'm kind of fond of this particular model photograph because it's pretty good in its dimensions and so forth, what it does with the bronze pillars. And that's that big square thing in front is the altar uh, with steps leading up. You could, I think that they could have probably sacrificed uh, nine separate fires up there. Uh, with what they were doing. The round thing in front, the bronze round thing, is, was a water source um, that, the, that the priests used for their own ceremonial washing. It's being held up by 12 um, life-size bronze bulls. And then the little bronze things are movable bronze uh, water basins that they use for washing the meat as they butchered the animals to put them up on the on the altar and so forth. And then on the side, on the right side, in the gray is the up and down view, like a cross section of what the temple may have looked like. And the black one below is the, from the top view, called a plan view of, of what the interior looked like. And notice that the, there are little rooms around the sides. Um, and we don't really know um, where the doors were to those rooms, except that they were not accessible from inside, they were accessible from outside. And there were three levels of those, three stories. So there was lots of storage and maybe some apartments and things like that. And here we're in, uh, here in, uh, in the middle of chapter six, we're in a portion of Solomon's dedication prayer um, where he is uh, asking God some specific requests um, uh, called petitions about uh, forgiveness. This is the heart of the whole matter, the forgiveness of sins. And so I'm just going to get into this. If you have a question, just go ahead and ask. But I'm just going to start to read. So, if a man sins against his neighbor, and his neighbor places him under oath, and the oath is presented before your altar in this house, then hear from heaven and take action. This isn't easy to for some people to grasp, to, to grasp, to grasp, or to understand, I, 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 what, what's happening here is somebody has sinned against someone else, purposely or accidentally. Uh, like somebody uh, backs into your car, okay, and you come out and catch them and say, "Hey, you backed into my car and uh, didn't damage the car too much, but we've got to fix this." And so the person who did it says, because this is 
before insurance, it's BI, um, says, uh, I'll pay you back plus, and the, the, the usual plus in the Old Testament is always 20%. Okay, so one-fifth. So I'll give you the whole thing. And what Solomon is saying, if a man does this and the neighbor places him under oath, okay, swear to doing that. The guy says, okay, I'll swear. And they come to the temple and do that. Then Solomon is saying, if the guy uh, does it, then hear from heaven and take action. You know, forgive him. But if he doesn't, provide justice for your servants by repaying the guilty person and bringing his ways down on his own head and by declaring the righteous person innocent in dealing with him according to his righteousness. So you have a, a, dis a dispute about something. One person's innocent, one's per one person's guilty, but they swore an oath, they came to the temple, and Solomon is saying, give them justice. And of course, the most famous case of this, we haven't heard it yet, but we're going to. What's the most famous case? The two moms, they're two prostitutes. And they each had a baby. One of them rolled over in the night and killed accidentally her baby. She laid on it or whatever. And then she stole the, and she switched them. You know, and so the, they, they come before Solomon because uh, we have an accusation now. And, uh, and so the, the mother whose baby got switched, who, who really has a living baby, and this other woman say to Solomon, decide for the case, please. You know, which one, what happened? And what was Solomon's answer? Do you remember? Yeah, bring me a sword. And I'll, you can both have half. And of course, that was a test for which woman? The, the mother, the innocent woman. Because she would rather have her baby live no matter what. So that was the test. And, uh, and Solomon came, became famous and renowned for that decision and similar decisions like that. But that was the, that was the wow moment. All right, the prayer continues. If your people, Israel, are defeated by their enemies because they sinned against you, and they return to you and praise your name and pray and seek your favor in this house, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people, Israel, and bring them back to the land which you gave to them and to their fathers. Now what happened to the people? The whole people sinned, and what happened to them? They're defeated and taken away. They're carried away. Yeah, so we have captives here. Um, whether that was a battle or something bigger, it's, if there are captives involved and they repent, then bring them back. This request is to bring them back. There's going to be a similar one in a couple verses, but it's not going to say bring them back. Um, okay, so when the heavens are shut up, and there is no rain because they sinned against you. What do we call that when there's no rain? Drought. And then they pray toward this place. Praise your name and turn from their sin because you have humbled them. Then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants and your people Israel. For you teach them the good way in which they are to walk. Can you, with your eye, go down to the third line? What is interesting in that line pray toward this place this is there there are a couple of these in this chapter and one i can think of in the book of daniel where there's a reference to praying toward 
the temple or toward Jerusalem. Um, why would Solomon want the people to think about praying toward Jerusalem? Was the city special in some way? Not the city, the temple. That's because that's God's temple. Yeah, so uh, when, they, when they turn toward this place and praise your name, not superstitiously, but praise your name, and turn from their sin because you've humbled them, there's repentance, then hear and forgive. Yeah, for you teach them the good way in which they are to walk. Um, okay, but that's interesting that we have that idea of turning toward the temple there. Um, from wherever they are. So they've been carried away and face it again. What direction would we face in America if we wanted to face Jerusalem? East or west? Yeah. It's like, uh, got to go from here around to there. Um, provide rain upon your land, which you have given your people as an inheritance. That's the end of that last petition. You know, the rain stopped. Now give us back rain, please. And now when there's famine in the land, when there is plague, when there is blight or mildew, what's blight? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a, like a rash on plants, sort of. Um, and what's mildew? Mold. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what are locusts? Angry grasshoppers. Angry grasshoppers, yeah, grasshoppers. Very good. And uh, there's, a, there's a famous uh, nonsense photograph of a guy uh, with, a, with a shotgun, an old-timey picture, black and white picture. He's got a shotgun, he's standing there, and he's holding his other hand up this high, and it's one grasshopper down to the ground, you know. It's completely fake, you know. It was, it was, like a, it was a, actually a fox or something like that, but, it, but they put a grasshopper in there instead, but it's pretty funny, like, Wow. Um, all right. So, or when their enemies are in the land besieging their gates, or when any disease or any sickness is present, hear every prayer and every plea for mercy from each individual and from your whole people, Israel. It's not even done yet. Later in the book of Jeremiah, on the other end of all of this, who uh, may have lived about the time that Chronicles was written. Um, Jeremiah brings this stuff to the foreground by saying that there will be sword, famine, and plague. And he keeps using that trio all through his book. Sword, famine, and plague. And also Jeremiah's other famous line, terror on every side. Yeah. Uh, so the, because the people did uh, forget. They did rebel against God later. But here... Um, Solomon prays not only every prayer and every plea, but from each individual. Uh, that's what we want to hear, isn't it? Not that the group is forgiven, but that I myself in the group, I myself am forgiven. I've, uh, I've pointed this out a couple of times. It's always worth repeating. When you hear the benediction at the end of the service, the, the one that God gave Aaron in the book of Numbers, to give to the people, the one that goes, uh, the Lord bless you and keep you, that one, the Lord make his face shine on you and so forth. In that benediction, um, think to yourself, uh, the word you in Hebrew, in that, in that benediction is singular. 
not plural. And Hebrew has singular and plural forms of you. We don't in English, it's just you. But in Hebrew, it's singular. So when the pastor turns around and says, the Lord bless you, he's not saying it to the congregation. He's saying it to you individually. The Lord bless you and keep you. He might be like Aaron saying it to two million people, but his words are going right to you. Get it? Good. All right. Let's, let's finish the sentence. Okay. From your whole people, Israel, because each person knows his own affliction and his own sorrow. Uh, I'm going to just say this out loud. What did I preach on this Sunday? Marriage in the morning. I had another service in the afternoon, an installation service. But in the morning, uh, on preaching on marriage, I got an email Sunday early in the afternoon uh, from a woman in our congregation who said, thank you for the gospel comfort, Pastor, because I had to put my pet to sleep last week. And she was feeling guilt and shame and sorrow over that. I mean... You know, uh, sometimes I've, I've had to have some of our cats put down and because they have an incurable disease, you know, feline leukemia or, or kidney diseases, and, and there may not be a cure or the cure might be more money than I have, you know. And so, so should you feel shame about having to do that? No. Um, uh, but she thanked me for the gospel comfort and I thought, where did I preach gospel comfort for that in that sermon but the fact that there was gospel you know was the key uh even though i was talking about marriage you know sins and things like that but uh she was able to apply the gospel to herself each person knows his own affliction and his own sorrow which is why we should never leave the gospel out should we i mean should we okay uh, i have to tell you this too so I preached also Sunday afternoon at an installation service for the, the new pastor in Cortland. And I preached on Psalm 3. But because I had a funeral on Thursday and then church Saturday and Sunday morning and, sure, and the installation, I, I had to write one of them on, on Friday, which I, I did the installation sermon writing on Friday. It takes about 15, 20 hours to, do, to write a sermon. Okay? Um, and so I did that on, 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 on Friday, on my day off, but I, I got it written and I was just so exhausted that I basically had time to eat a bowl of cereal. It's about 10.30 at night. I, I, I had to get up early the next morning. Tell, in, in my, my nightly prayer that night was, I'm really tired, Lord. Good night, you know, and go to sleep. I didn't have time to even read it out loud. And then the next morning, it was get over here, help with Jesus Cares, and, and work on this sermon, you know, the, the Sunday sermon, because you preach it Saturday at 6. So it's got to be ready by about 2, so you can preach, you know, I can learn it all afternoon and so forth. So doing all that, we have church on Saturday night. 7 o'clock comes, church is over. And now I'm thinking, okay, tomorrow afternoon, I'm not going to have any time to practice this other sermon because the installation's at 2, church gets over at noon, people will talk to me until 12.30, I'll have time to change my clothes, feed my children, and get to Cortland. And I did not have time to feed my children, actually, on that day. But anyway, so I, so I wanted to practice it Saturday night. 
So I'm in the fellowship hall because there are people working on communion in the church. I'm, I'm practicing out loud. That's how I practice my sermon. I'm pacing. I've got it. I'm reading it. And I get to the end of the sermon. I realized in the sermon, I'm preaching on Psalm 3. It's David's, David, it's the rebellion of David's son Absalom. And I'm applying that to uh, the, the, the battles we face in the church and so forth. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking about uh, the, the, the punishment in, in, in hell and suffering. And I realize that I flip at one point to the duties of the congregation to the new pastor. And I realize I just went from condemning your sins to you'd better pray for your pastor. And then I went to amen. I thought there's no gospel. That there's no gospel at all. And, and, and so, so the, the, it, it's, I, I was a little embarrassed because the entire gospel message, you know, two big paragraphs, they're handwritten. I, I just had time to handwrite them in the margin. And when I was done preaching on, on Sunday afternoon, I realized I left it in the pulpit. So the pastor knows. You know, he's like, oh, he didn't have any gospel at all, and he wrote this in the margin, and so, because I, I, I left the evidence. So, but, but I had to, I had to. You know, you, you, you must preach the gospel um, to rescue people from whatever guilt they have. So Solomon says, when he stretches out his hands, the one who has sinned, toward this house, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and give to each man according to his ways, since you know his heart. Ooh, you know his heart. The second half of verse 30 goes on. You alone, let me underline that, you alone know the heart of everyone so that they fear you and walk in your ways all the days of their life, all the days they live on the soil that you gave to our fathers. That underlined part, let's all say it out loud together. You alone know the heart of everyone. What does that mean? Who doesn't? Your neighbor? My brother? The devil. No one can read your thoughts. No one knows your thoughts except God himself. Um, in your sheet, uh, on the middle of the front page, where it says 630B, I have other proof passages about this same topic. Matthew 9.4, Luke 16.15. The other uh, version of this same account, which is 1 Kings 8.30, this passage, 2 Chronicles 6.30, and Psalm 94.11. And a book we have at our church library, there's a three-volume set called Peeper's Dogmatics, and volume one, page, what is it, 501, has the same topic in it. Um, when I'm, 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 I'm just offering this because some people are afraid because they think the devil knows all of their thoughts. The Bible teaches us that he doesn't. Okay, And if, can I just say this as a matter of practical Christianity? Um, if there is a, a, a temptation in your life, especially a new one, that you haven't told anybody about and you haven't even muttered out loud to it, uh, you know, to yourself. Um, anybody in here besides me talk to themselves out loud sometimes? Or am I the only goofy, crazy one? Because I do all the time, especially in the car. 
in the shower, walking in the parking lot, and the dentist parking lot, some woman overheard me today and laughed at me. I don't care. Whatever. It's fine. It's fine. Um, but if, if there's some t- temptation in your life that you that you've, have never expressed, uh, consider keeping that to your silent prayers. Why tell the devil anything? Why give the devil a leg up on you in any way? You know, just, just, just keep it to yourself. Um, tell God, oh, by the way, that special project of mine, God, that special issue, thanks for your help today. Keep helping me tomorrow. You know, that I, 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 I tell this to, to, the, to the classes. I don't know if I've said it this year. I've got both these guys in my class right now. The devil is a jerk. Your parents should know that I, I use that word in class. He is never your friend. Um, and so don't give him an inch. You know, you're, you're in battle with him all the time. Okay, okay. Anything that far? Also, verse 32. Also for the foreigner who is not one of your people, Israel, but who comes from a distant land because of your great name, your mighty hand, and your outstretched arm, and who comes and prays toward this house for that foreigner here in, here in heaven, which is your dwelling place. So uh, Solomon asking God, you know, even for the foreigner, the stranger, if they hear about you and pray, listen to them. Do we have an example of that in the Bible? Foreigner hearing about God and... Oh, in, the, in, in Acts, Philip, the evangelist, sees the Ethiopian eunuch who had come to Jerusalem to buy a copy of Isaiah and is on his way home. He works for the queen, the, 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 the Candace, um, or Candace, some people pronounce it, but... Um, and he doesn't know what it means, and Philip tells him, yeah, what's going on? Maybe the wise men? Yeah, another one? Cornelius. Cornelius. Oh, the, the, uh, he's the one, uh, uh, what's the word for sergeant? Centurion, thank you. Uh, good, yeah. I was also thinking of um, Naaman the Syrian. Is that Uri's Aaron? Yeah, Sorry. I forgot the name. Oh, okay, yeah, Naaman the Syrian. And... Uh, um, uh, 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 Queen of Sheba is about to appear in Solomon. But he says, do everything for which that foreigner cries out to you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you just as your people Israel do because they know that your name is proclaimed in this house I have built. Um, uh, Then when your people go out for battle, against their enemies, or on whatever way you send them. And they pray to you, facing toward this city, again, toward the city, which you have chosen, and toward the house which I have built for your name. Then from heaven hear their prayer and their plea for mercy and provide justice for them. Um, so again, the, 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 encouraging the people facing, um, you know, not the city, but especially the house, because of your name, and then hear from heaven, hear their prayer. So is God listening from his shrine in the city? No. Solomon says, where does God hear from? Verse 35. From heaven. Yeah. Hear from heaven. And hear their plea from me for mercy. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.